Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. This is Ghost Echoes, a history of music with secret rules. I'm Matthew Parsons. Never mind how you and I got to this early 70s London soiree. I'm just glad you're here. This really isn't my scene. I don't know any of these people. Or more accurately, I know all of them. But they do not know me. And no offense, but I feel like you might be a little out of your depth as well. Welcome to Swing in London, my friend. Let's be realistic. This crowd could eat us alive. So let's the two of us stand quietly here in the corner with our sensible modern haircuts and our Negronis. And I'll tell you what I know about these folks. I assume you've met our host, at least? She's the one over there by the turntable with the pile of curly hair. June Campbell Kramer, known to everybody as Lady June. They call her that because of this place, this apartment we're loitering in now. So many rock musicians have rented rooms here that June became known as the counterculture's landlady, a pillar of the psychedelic aristocracy. But I wonder how many of these people realize that she's an artist in her own right. June was born in Yorkshire, raised in Plymouth. Her early life can't have been very much like the one we see her leading presently. Her parents were extremely religious. Darbyites. One of those real specific kinds of evangelicals, you know? But there's at least one thing she has her family to thank for. Her father was in the fashion industry, and he encouraged June to take up modeling, to make a bit of money. And modeling is how she found her way to Spain, specifically a small town on the coast of the island Mallorca, a town called Dea. This would have been the early 60s, and the place was a borderline artist's colony full of painters and poets and performers of various sorts. So between modeling gigs, June started making art. Never mind what the paintings were like, what everybody remembers are the onions. Instead of signing her pictures, June would hang an onion above each one. Perhaps to make it clear that this was in fact a sort of signature, she started actually calling herself June Onion. If you had any doubts that we are in the presence of a classic British eccentric, I hope they are now extinguished. Oh, look who just came in. That's Kevin Ayers. He used to play guitar with Soft Machine. You know Soft Machine, right? The jazz fusion band from Canterbury. Used to play shows with Pink Floyd. It's not important, but they were huge for this crowd. Kevin Ayers rented a room here for six and a half years. Actually, I suppose he must live here now. 
He and June made an album together in this very room. The mics were probably set up right by that paisley sofa. It's called Lady June's Linguistic Leprosy. Here, listen to this. Put in these wireless earbuds. Careful, don't let anyone see. <laughs> Do you want the locals to think you're a witch? my shepherd and I am a sheep. Perhaps you're just a walrus and the rest are all creeps. I shall not want what I've beholden to ask, cause each time that I found it it slipped out of my grasp. Beside the still waters I searched for the Lord, but after a lifetime I began to get bored. Honestly, linguistic leprosy seems like more of an accomplishment when you consider that it only cost 400 pounds to make. Anyway, what was I saying? Right, I was telling you about June's time in Spain before she moved here. Actually, it's funny, that's where she met Kevin Ayers in the first place. Dea wasn't all painters and poets, it was a popular spot for up-and-coming British rock musicians, too. There's a great story from that time about how June introduced the members of Soft Machine to the millionaire who paid their expenses until they found their feet. Now there was a character, that millionaire. June used to call him the gangly Texan, and she liked to tell a story about how he poured a bunch of money into a rock band and then went mad and thought he was the seventh incarnation of Jesus. I'll reserve judgment on the Jesus story, but I can tell you for sure he wasn't Texan. His name was Wes Brunson, and he was an optician from Oklahoma. He'd sort of faded into legend until a French writer called Emeric Loire tracked down his great-nephew to sort out the facts. Before he came to Europe, Brunson sold eyeglasses out of a limousine he drove around Oklahoma. He was also probably the first person in the state to provide contact lenses. It sounds to me like Brunson had a touch of the classic American hustler jackass about him. He may have been a perfectly good optician, but he also ran a nightclub called the Evil Monkey. And at some point he got thrown in jail for violating a custody agreement with his ex-wife. He paid his legal fees in shares of his company. Anyway, Brunson surfaced in Daya at some point, around the same time that Kevin Ayers and Lady June were hanging around. June made the introductions, substances were imbibed, and soon Brunson and the band had a deal. That's the story of how one of England's major cult bands was founded with the money of a stoned American eye doctor. The rest of Wes Brunson's life was equally eventful. Apparently, he smoked so much weed that his family had him institutionalized. He had a heart attack when he was 39, but it didn't stop him from going to a concert immediately after, and he actually died on the dance floor. The one thing that lends credence to Lady June's Jesus story is that Brunson's third wife initially refused to allow a traditional burial because she thought he might come back to life. I don't know about you, but when I'm at these things, I always find myself drifting towards the bookshelves. Let's see what Lady June's been reading. Oh, here's something I knew I'd find. Robert Graves, 
was a figure from a totally different generation. Graves was an old-school man of letters, an Oxford man, a World War I veteran. But he was in Lady June's orbit too, or she was in his. Graves was one of the first British artists to settle in Dea, and all of the literary types and rock and rollers who followed had to make their peace with him somehow, June included. This book is Graves' memoir, Goodbye to All That. It's the horrifying story of his time in the trenches. The lice, the rats, the mustard gas, the shrapnel, the gunfire, and the atrocities committed by the people who were supposed to be the good guys. Graves came home with what we'd now call post-traumatic stress disorder, and he wrote this book. He later called the memoir, My Bitter Leave-Taking of England, where I had recently broken a good many conventions, quarreled with or been disowned by most of my friends, been grilled by the police on a suspicion of attempted murder, and ceased to care what anyone thought of me. The book came out just as the Great Depression hit, but it sold well enough to finance Graves' final bitter leave-taking of England. And that's how he came to be in Spain. Goodbye to all that. It's a great title, isn't it? So great, even Joan Didion had to borrow it. That's what she called her essay about leaving New York City in the mid-60s. There's a moment in that essay I've always loved where Didion reflects on all the different kinds of parties she went to in her younger days when she was in love with the big city. Saturday afternoon parties given by recently married couples who lived in Stuyvesant Town. West side parties given by unpublished or failed writers who served cheap red wine and talked about going to Guadalajara. Village parties where all the guests worked for advertising agencies and voted for reform Democrats. Press parties at Sardis, the worst kind of parties. Didion has a way of going from content to exhausted in the course of a single paragraph. And after eight years in New York, Didion's need for a change of scenery became a matter of life and death. Or as she put it, it is distinctly possible to stay too long at the fair. I guess nobody ever mentioned that to Lady June, the greatest party thrower of her generation. She did leave London in 1975 to move back to the island town of Dea, but she kept this apartment for 30 years. Lady June didn't say goodbye to all this until the late 90s when some mysterious legal troubles concluded with her finally losing this flat. And with it, she lost her connection to the creative community in London. I mean, by then, June had plenty of options if she wanted to keep in touch with people, but... And, I mean, it might be a bit surprising to hear me say this, given that you and I have been hiding in this corner for the whole party, but I do believe this. There's something to be said for lots of people hanging out together in a room. Who knows how much music we wouldn't have if Lady June hadn't loved to throw parties. I'm sure we wouldn't have her solo albums. We might not have Soft Machine. And who knows how many solo careers wouldn't have taken off without that. Lady June passed away in 1999, the day before a big exhibition opening. 
It was a joint show with Francis Baxter Graves, Robert Graves' daughter-in-law. Francis was a longtime friend of June's. She kept one token to remember her by, June's recipe book, a testament to how she always brought people together. At Lady June's memorial service, her friends sealed her ashes in envelopes. They stuck them to helium balloons and sent them floating off into the sky. I like to imagine one of those balloons floated north, across the shores of Majorca, across the sea, and over the humming streets of Barcelona, past the vineyards of Bordeaux and the cliffs of Normandy, across the English Channel and all the way here, to the sky above this very address, where it finally burst and scattered a part of June Campbell Kramer over this London flat, the place where she earned the title of Lady. Look who that is. That's Jilly Smythe from the band Gong. She's one of June's best friends. They used to have joint birthday parties because their birthdays were two days apart, you see, and... Ah. Uh, you know what? I think I'm gonna take off. I hate to be so abrupt, it's just... I'm not completely sure what year it is, and, well... If this actually is Jilly Smythe's birthday... There's a good chance a very drunk man is about to fall out a window and break his back, and I don't want to be here when it happens. I remember that story all too well from Ghost Echoes number three. Anyway, it's been great talking. Don't feel obliged to follow me out. You should stick around. Mingle! Half an hour from now, maybe you'll be in a generously funded rock and roll band. I'm Matthew Parsons. Next time on Ghost Echoes, the end. I am the voice down the phone, and I enter your brain and remain. I am the news while respecting your views. I don't believe ya. Consequence Podcast Network.